What makes you happy? That is the question I asked the little ones there. And what a precious response uh, Reagan gave. Being with my mommy, um, that makes me happy. Playing with my cousins, um, that makes me happy. What makes you happy? What really makes you happy? Um, That is sort of what I want to start off with this morning as we actually go to John 20. I want to look at happiness. And I know it may be, uh, really, you say, man, that's a weird subject to tackle during Lent, isn't it? When we're giving up a bunch of stuff. I mean, that's almost the opposite, it seems to me, of what Lent is. It's sort of a drag, right, to the, to the good stuff, which is Easter. But it's truly not. Um, let's go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And I want to look at a few verses here near the end where Jesus is talking to Thomas. Now again, you'll remember that John has a different ordering to his Gospel. He's not like the other three. Um, He is the fourth gospel, and the most unique content is found within the gospel of John. He doesn't share a whole lot with the others. Um, Now notice here, we want to begin with verse 24 and read down to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, remember this is after his resurrection, and so they saw him resurrected. Uh, Thomas did not. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word to us. Lord, would You consecrate this Word this morning to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, would You speak some things into us today that we need from You. And give us Your grace, we pray, in Your most holy name. Amen. Are you happy? What is happiness? Uh, These are questions that many people will ask at some point in our life. Uh, Many people seek happiness. As we just mentioned, uh, all fairy tales end with they lived happily ever after. So in our own making of the world, if we had it like we wanted to, you know, a fairy tale, a fairy tale life, then we would live happily ever after. But is that realistic? Is happiness even mentioned in the Bible? What does it mean to be happy? Does it last? Can it last? 
Why does the Constitution of the United States of America mention happiness as one of the rights that is given to us? Not noticed by people, but by God. Inalienable rights to all folks, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is the Bible a fairy tale that has a happy ending that says, and they lived happily ever after? Is there something more to fairy tales that we're not picking up on that maybe relates to the true story that God is writing and not just us? Maybe fairy tales are fairied right now, but will become reality in the end where we do live happily ever after with God. These and many other questions uh, often plague people and they grasp at things that try to make them happy. And as you know, even recently in our American context, people have begun to define things in ways that they think make them happy. And the question becomes, does it make God happy? St. Thomas Aquinas said, there is within every soul a thirst for happiness and meaning. So what makes us happy? Put simply, God. If we are His creation, then He put this longing in our hearts. This is not foreign to us, but is a part of every heart's longing. Ultimate joy if you will. In our story today, Thomas and Jesus uh, are at a very interesting meeting. And I'm sure that you know, we, could, we could say many, many things today about this particular passage. But I want to springboard off of the last thing that Jesus says to Thomas. He says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What is the definition of happiness? What is the definition of blessed? Now we could, you know, I actually looked this up. I did a lot more groundwork than I'm sure you have this morning because you didn't know about it. Uh, But you can go look up in your etymological dictionary and realize that the term happy does not even occur uh, in the Bible at all doesn't have a term for what we mean by happy. Uh, This term comes along about a thousand years after the Bible is written. So it's really foreign to the text. However, it does describe something. The term happy actually has a connotation, which is a range of meaning. You know, every word has a range of meaning. And you've seen recently uh, people voting or persuading others to redefine certain Terms even in our own culture, such terms as marriage. Happiness is another term that has fallen on the rocks of sorts. Uh, Many people maybe have let it go away, don't believe in it, don't think it can happen, and say because it's not in the Bible, it's not for us. But I don't want to just stop there with that simple um, definition or maybe the loss thereof. Instead, I want to tell you that the term actually happy comes from hap, which is chance, which is fortune. So it really doesn't have a strong biblical basis. Uh, Rather, blessed does. 
So blessed would be the closest we're going to get to possible meanings and within that range of meaning of happiness again. And so happiness is subjective. It's a state of feeling. So like, you know, if you eat ice cream, it makes you happy. You're not eating ice cream. It doesn't. Um, you know, you win $1,000. That makes you happy. You blow $1,000. That doesn't. Happiness can change, whereas being blessed doesn't change. That is something objective, not subjective. It is not a feeling, whereas being happy is a feeling. Being happy indicates a temporary state, not something permanent. Whereas being blessed is something permanent. In other words, if I was given a family like I was, where my father and my mother loved me and they raised me in the nurture of Christ, that is something that I cannot undo by my own doing other than just to live the exact opposite of that. But I can never undo my blessedness. However, you can stop being happy very quickly. Happiness is whimsical. It's, you know... In, in preparing for this, I related it to this. Seeking happiness is like seeking to be full. You can, you can catch it, but it's not going to stick around. You know, just like, I mean, you're hungry. Maybe some of you are hungry now. You didn't eat a proper breakfast. And so as we approach lunchtime, you're sitting there thinking, man, I could really use something to eat. And it really begins to dominate your thinking. But once you eat, you're satisfied. But guess what? A few hours later, you're going to be hungry again. This is how happiness works. You can catch it. You can be stabbed by it. You can kind of grab a little bit of it, experience some of it. But at the end of the day, it's going to not remain. There's always got to be more. And yet, being blessed is not that way. It is something that cannot be undone. So what Jesus has done for us in becoming one of us, in dying for us, in resurrecting for our sake, That cannot be undone by you. You are blessed because of what He did. That's something that He actually extended to us. And so if you go and look up the word bless, that's that's the idea. It is an extension of His holiness. You may have never connected the term blessed and holy together, but these two terms actually mean the same thing almost. So to be blessed is to be extended His holiness or His grace. We can, we, can, we can actually go with that as well. So whereas happiness depends on chance or fortune, you know, whether or not you get your ice cream or whether or not you win $1,000, blessedness does not depend on chance, but instead on God's grace and our response to that grace. So now... Definitionally, that's all I want to do with you, okay? So just, you can go, you can go, whew. All right, we're out of the etymology and we're out of the uh, roots of the words because there's, trust me, there's plenty more. It actually comes from two Latin words, which I'm not even going to get into. And, um, but we're done with that. Here's what separates, and this, this will be clear for you. Here's what really separates being blessed from just being happy. Suffering. Suffering. You can be blessed while suffering, but you can't normally be blessed, I mean, happy while you're suffering. Nobody's saying, this is fantastic. I've got a smile on my face 
as I'm losing this. No. No. You can be in the midst of the storm in utter darkness and still have the blessing of God. Still have His grace at work in your life and be blessed. You cannot normally be happy about your suffering. So, Job is still a blessed man. Even when he loses everything, you cannot lose God. We just established you cannot undo a blessing. Not given by God. Not His grace. The fact that He's extended His life to us, the fact that He's giving us life in this moment is a blessing in and of itself. It is His grace to us. That cannot be undone. Happiness can be quickly undone. Now, again, happiness here becomes then the result of something else. It's the byproduct. Sort of like Jessica Stroganoff, which is something that really makes me happy. Uh, Beef Stroganoff always really makes me happy. Uh, She can cook it. Some things that you know she cooks, they're all fantastic. But I'm like, ah, I wasn't really feeling that today. But I'll eat it. You know, it's not a big deal. I'm not. The alternative's terrible. So I'm not going to go without food. But any time beef stroganoff's on the menu, I'm game. It makes me happy. It just simply makes me happy. Um, it's one of these comfort foods, I guess you could say. Well, okay. In in this instance. The happiness is a byproduct of a lot of ingredients. Just like the stroganoff is a byproduct of the ingredients that are used and the timing and the placing of those. If I tried to do it, it would not turn out like hers. Uh, trust me, at least not on my first go. Maybe I'd get on the third or fourth one, but not, not the first go. It's not going to happen. Same way with happiness. If you want to experience happiness in your life, you're going to have to have the right ingredients. Now, again, it's not going to last. But I'm just simply saying, if you want to pursue happiness, happiness is something that God has put in our hearts to want and to desire. Whatever you call it. You know, again, blessing. You know, whatever this desire is to be happy, this has been placed there. It is good, but it will not last. We've got to have the right ingredients working in our life forever. The right recipe, you could say. The right formula. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to offer some things that are the right ingredients to a happy life. The right recipe. Again, I can't whip it up for you. You've got to do that. The formula, however, will work. But I want you to understand the first thing about being happy is not pursuing happiness. I just described to you basically why you shouldn't you know, pursue happiness is because it's fleeting. Which it is. Pursue instead the blessing. And as a result of being blessed, happiness will come. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to be happy. But listen to me. You can always be blessed. No matter what you lose in this life, you can be blessed because God has prepared something more. Everyone will leave this life through death, the Scriptures teach us, except for those who see Him in the air. Well, death is really the great equalizer of humanity. It puts to naught all of our good, all of our hard work. You know, you 
You think about yourself, all the education you've received, all the things you've learned, all the relationships you've can be gone in an instance. Death is tragic for these reasons and many more. And yet, we can still be blessed in death because God Himself experienced death for us and made it the way to life. That's a powerful thing. He took a tool of death, the cross, and turned it into the greatest symbol of hope in our world. What does the executioner say before 21 are executed simultaneously? These are people of the cross. And literally before Him, they were going to their death and yet receiving new life. That is a powerful, ugly, awful, glorious scene. Just like the cross is. Yes, the cross is beautiful, but it also has tragedy instilled within its very two beams. This is what Lent's about. This is what this season we're in is about. There is darkness. The colors begin to go toned down. They're not bright. They're not nice to look at always. Instead, we have darkness and light that are contrasted. We have suffering that's being talked about. You're called to suffer in your body by denying yourself certain things in order to grow in Jesus Christ and receive abundant life. The only way a seed will ever become anything more than a seed is if it goes into total darkness and actually germinates within the soil, which means it loses its seedhood, if you will, and becomes something different. This is the transformation we are all called to go through. Peter Kraft is a philosopher that I, um, a Catholic philosopher that I actually really enjoy listening to. And some of his, he's, a, he's also a C.S. Lewis expert. Uh, one of the illustrations he uses to talk about death is this it's like being born. So you can imagine a kid in the womb, you know, we know they're responsive, we know they feel pain, we know they have all of the, the things that we experience and have, they can hear us. Um, even this morning they can hear us inside the womb. And inside the womb you can imagine the thinking process here is, wow, this is, this is very comfy. I have everything that I need. I've got food supply. I've got my mom right here. You know, I've got the voices that love me. Uh, different scenes. And you know, for, for a, a baby, you really, I mean, they don't know anything different. They think this is comfy. They think this is spacious until they get out. And they're like, this place is huge. I mean, even as a kid, you know this sort of reality shift, right? You're thinking, everybody just does what we do, right? Until you go somewhere else. And they don't. And you're like, hang on. And there's more? And there's more and more and more? And our world seems so big until you look at the universe. Even our galaxy seems big until you look at other galaxies. Millions of other galaxies within our universe that we can't even look out there and see anymore. We just can count the ones that are visible from telescopes that are placed out in space by satellites. This place is huge. And yet, when we die, we, we are thinking again like the, like the baby in the womb. We're thinking, man, this place is huge. This is awesome. We've got what we need. And yet, when we move from death to life, eternal life with Jesus Christ, 
It'll be such a transition. We can't even fathom. It'll blow our mind once again, just as much as a baby from the womb to air to our world and our earth experiences, so too we will, Crave says, concerning this. Uh, you know, even things that we think are the best thing in life, such as pleasure, in particular sexual pleasure, he uses another illustration. He says, you know, a seven-year-old... All right, actually, we'll use... Is Jackson seven, eight yet? Yes, he's eight. Uh, it's, it's tough, trust me. Um, an eight-year-old boy is 100% of the time going to pick chocolate or candy over being with a girl uh, any day of the week. All right? Any time of the day, it's going to be 100% because chocolate and candy, to him, that you're maxing out the pleasure factor. You understand? I mean, you, you are, that's to the max. However, take someone in their 30s, that's not the max pleasure. Instead, it normally becomes sexual pleasure. And so we think, wow, this is the max in our world, is this sexual pleasure. By the way, that God has given to us. Now, I know it gets, people get really uncomfortable. They're like, man, hey, talk about you know, sex. And, listen, God's the one who created this stuff, not us. We didn't do it. I mean, He's the one who, by an act of pleasure, of maybe the greatest pleasure in the world, that's how you got here. Okay? We think that's it. That's the max right there. Let me tell you, people say, well, are we going to have sex in heaven? That's a good question. I think it'll be like the chocolate thing. Yes, we'll still be sexed. We won't, you won't lose your maleness or femininity. That won't cease to exist. He likes that. He created you like you are. But, given the choice, given the choice, we won't pick it because there'll be something greater. Just as, you, just as the eight-year-old could never fathom anything greater than as much candy in the world as he could possibly think of, we will not be able to fathom the joy, the pleasure of being in heaven. We were made for another world, not just this world. That's the unique thing about us humans. We're always looking upward, always looking inward. Nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is setting up institutions to ask questions like, who are we? The bears aren't saying, who are we? Let's define our bearhood. But we are defining our personhood. We set up institutions. We write books about it. It is something that is absolutely unique to humanity. We were created to be happy, but the only way we can be happy in true felicity, you've heard this term felicity, true happiness, this is actually where happy, the term happy comes from, is the Latin felix. This is only found in God. Don't ever worry that heaven is not going to be a place that you won't enjoy or that there won't be pleasures there. There will be pleasures there unimaginable to us now. We cannot begin to think. Well, Again, our highest ones, we're thinking, that's the max, but I promise you, He's got more in store. There's deeper pleasures than we could have ever imagined. But the only way they're realized is what Jesus tells Thomas. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. Believe faith. We're never going to, to see God except through the eye of faith. 
You need to understand that in your life. You're not going to see Him face to face until the end. Except through the eye of faith. And this is His design. You say, how can we be happy if we can't see Him? Well, it's only by faith. Now we know that people of faith just in general are happier you know, sociologically um, than people of, of no faith. That's just, that's just known. People who actually believe in something and have something to live for tend to be happier than people who don't have anything to live for. I mean, it's really hard for me to really believe that we came from nothing, that we're here for no reason, and that we're going nowhere. That really is a depressing sort of talking point for atheism. I, it just it doesn't really fit. We know that we're here. We, we long, again, every human soul longs for happiness in me. Why? Why? We're not just doing our routine. Instead, we get sad when we're not happy. Why? This all points to God. This all points to the fact that He has put eternity within our hearts from the very beginning. What is the whole purpose of this whole thing? Go back to Genesis. It's He wants to walk with us. You follow that term walk through the Scriptures. It means that He wants to relate with us, commune with us, have a relationship with us humans. How do you do that? Well, the first step is faith, but more practically, pray. The night that I met uh, Jessica... I purposed to talk to her because she was very pretty and I wanted to know her. Um, it became one of those no's in the Bible. You understand, Adam knew Eve and they had another baby, right? And not just a, not just a hi, how are you doing? But a very intimate knowledge. But it begins with a word, doesn't it? I mean, each of your relationships begin with a word. Begin with talking. Well, Jessica and I started talking. What year was it, Beb? 2003? Bam. April of 2003. It's points. Um, <clears throat> we started talking April of 2003, and we haven't stopped talking since then. We're still talking. We're still relating to one another in words and in deeds. You know what the Bible calls us to? Start praying and don't stop. Pray and never stop. Pray without ceasing. That's our call. If you want to be happy, that's the first step. That's the first ingredient that I'm giving to you this Sunday for Lent is if you want to be happy in your life at all, if you want to be blessed at all in your life, then start praying right now and don't stop. Never stop. Never end the conversation. Always keep it open. I, um, <clears throat> I knew I was going to preach this sermon series back, really back in October of last year for, for our Lenten uh, fast. And I polled my students in class. I actually wrote down three questions and I said, you know, yeah, you don't have to take this. Put it on the tail end of an exam. Um, might have been the best place to put it, but uh, that's the only time I really had without lecturing. So I put it on the end of again, and I said, you don't have to take this, but if you want to, I'm polling people about happiness. And the three questions were this. What would make you happy? 
That was the first question. What is happiness? Second question. And then third one was briefly describe a time when you were happy. So they actually are in an order, a certain order for a reason. You know, what makes you happy? Then you have to define what is happiness. Then you actually give a concrete example. This was a specific time when I actually was happy. And man, I'm telling you, I had over a hundred, you know, responses, right? From my, I have about typically a hundred students. And I went through all those papers and I went through them again last night. You know, I went through them back last year too, but I went through them last night. And of course, there was an assortment of answers, you know, about what people think happiness is. And some of them are funny. And, you know, one guy in particular, he says, not the Beatitudes. And we'll get there. I'm going to I'm going to take him to task, but that's going to be on down the line here in a few Sundays. Uh, Because, by the way, beatitude comes from also a Latin word that can mean happy. That's where that term happiness stems from. Um, Not only felicity, but but uh, beatitude. So anyway, uh, you had a lot of different responses, a lot of different. and, And the one I read last night in particular was describe a time when you were happy. I want you to think about that. Describe a time right now. Just think of a time when you were really happy. Many people related back to their childhood, by the way. That was one of the most, most answered questions was when I was five, when my parents were together, before my parents divorced. You should have, you, I mean, the, some of them made you cry. Um, you know, when my, when my child was born, my children's births, the day I got married. These were, these were different in various responses. I'm sure that some of you would have some similar responses to, what, to, to dating back to a time when you were happy. Happiness. I don't want to kill the word happy completely because we use it in our language. You know, C.S. Lewis says when you kill a word, which certain words have, have been killed, the term gay has actually been killed. Um, he calls it verbicide. <laughs> Not homicide, but when you kill a word, he calls it verbicide. Um, you know, uh, gay means happy, but today it doesn't. It's, it's verbicide. You know, it's been, it's been killed. Um, I like Lewis. But anyway... Um, I don't want to lose the term happy. So what I'm going to do in this series is actually try to help happy along, help happiness along, and kind of give it some biblical roots and data. Because it's here. It's here. I mean, sometimes your Bible's even going to say, you know, happy are those who, so on and so forth. Really, our term happy is not there, remember. But there are root words that are there that I'm going to actually begin to lay out for us. Because again, in order to be happy, you're going to have to have the right ingredients. You're going to have to have the right recipe. And this is what we're looking for if you want to be happy. Again, what makes us happy? Put simply, God does. How do you relate to God? You pray and you don't stop. Job, uh, Tammy actually sent this to me this morning. Um, she, She oftentimes just sent me a little prayer and just of encouragement. But today it actually, it was, it was right on the mark. Notice what Job 42, 2-6 says. I know that you can do all things. Now remember, this is, when, this is way after all the conversations Job's had with all his buffoon friends. Um, you know, his, his friends, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and now he's meeting God. And here's what he said. He says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. 
I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Two things as we close. He says, I've heard about you, now I see you. Do you see God? I know you've heard of me. You can't come to this church without hearing about God, without reading from the Scriptures, without hearing prayers to God. You've heard about God. Have you seen Him with the eye of faith? I mean, have you seen Him in such a way that you literally, in the face of death, could not deny Him? You could not turn your back on Him. I mean, you've actually had an encounter by the eye of faith. We're not talking physical. We're talking about your faith where literally it, didn't, it doesn't matter what somebody says, what somebody threatens you with, you would never turn your back on Jesus Christ because you know that you know He is there for you. Have you had that experience? Because guess what? You actually can. He wants to meet you in that way. It's only going to happen through faith. It's only going to happen through prayer. You have to create that space in your life. But it can happen. He can confirm your faith. Praise be to God. The other thing here, and lastly, once Job says, okay, I've heard about you, now I see you, and now I despise myself. That's the only proper response to really seeing God, isn't it? You remember that story in the Old Testament where, God, where Moses says, God, I want to see you. We've been talking and stuff, I want to see you. God says, well, you know, you can't see my face or else you'll die, but I'll show you some of my back muscles, you know. I'll flex for you. I'm going to put you in the rock. I'm going to cover you up. And I'm going to pass by and you can see my back. Well, he does. He, he does that whole thing. You know, what? We don't, we don't get Moses saying, man, he was ripped like he was on steroids. Um, that's what I would have expected. Like some Zeus character. That's not, what, that's not Moses' response at all. Moses' response is, the Lord, the Lord, faithful, merciful, abounding in steadfast love to all generations of those who love Him. That's Moses' response to seeing God. Have you seen God that way? You can. The only way to do it, though, is to repent in dust and ashes. We've already started that process. It's time for you to repent and believe. Amen.